Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cathode Raycast, the Story Screen Presents podcast where we talk about all things television, either cable or streaming. We don't discriminate here. We're kind of all over the place. Um, but I'm your host, Bernadette Gorman-White, and today I'm joined by... Rhea Banerjee. Woo-woo! Yay! <laughs> Very excited. Um, first, off the bat, I just want to say thank you for clicking on this episode to start with. Thanks for joining us today. You already probably are a fan of The Crown, so we're going to be talking primarily about season four of The Crown on Netflix, but... We'll probably get back to seasons one through three in our own meandering ways. Right. But uh, thank you so much for clicking on this episode. If you are here listening to us, make sure to give us that good old like, that good old subscribe, maybe make a comment or two, whatever the spirit moves you to do. But awesome. Uh, So now, why don't we just jump on in? Rhea, I'm really excited to talk to you about this. I am excited to talk to you too, yeah. Yeah, because I know that you have, like, a good understanding of the history, somewhat, mm-hmm. of the crown. Yes. And uh, so I'm interested what your relationship with the royal family is. That's a great question. Um, so my family, I was born in the United States. My parents grew up in India uh, immediately post-independence, like, right after the British left. Um, but I do have aunts who grew up in colonial India my mother had many siblings there was a large there were six of them so there was a large age span and um, my grandparents obviously grew up in colonial India and there seems to be and I've noticed this with um, a lot of my friends who are Indian or who are from like a Caribbean background or any anybody who has um, heritage from a former British colony we all kind of have this very strange, tense relationship where we're kind of like, oh, they ruled us for so many years and they oppressed us. And ugh. but we're also just like we we kind of are fascinated by them still. Um, so that's kind of where where I, I kind of a- approach how I feel about the royal family in general. I was really excited. Um how, how many years ago did, was it 2016 when the first season of The Crown came out? That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was super excited about it because it was covering a, a part of the family's history that I didn't know terribly well. Um, I'd seen the King's speech, so obviously I knew about uh, King George VI and his stuttering and, you know, the way he kind of saw... Uh, saw everyone through World War II. And then I knew that Elizabeth was very young when she came to the throne. I knew that it was always a fraught situation because nobody in that branch of the family was expecting to be in that position until King Edward abdicated. Um, so I knew that I knew that she was young when she ascended the throne, but I didn't really know a lot about kind of the 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 backstory of that what her experience was as a young woman in that role dealing with a lot of older men who were kind of trying to tell her how to do her job or show her how to do her job or and and how she sort of came into her own so that was really interesting to me um and then to jump ahead to this to season four which i i literally like i binged it hard last week i was so into it (laughs) me too as well yeah and um and i think what i really like about this season is that 
in prior seasons, they had done what looks like a, a fairly decent job of trying to humanize the royal family. Uh, not necessarily mm-hmm. like royals, they're just like you and me, because obviously they're not. But, you know, <laughs> like just just sort of understanding like the humanity behind them and the family conflict and like just generally kind of the emotional impact of having to step into a role that big when she was that young and kind of how it affected her family and you know we we got to see uh you know Charles when he was a young boy being very badly bullied in school and you know they did a really good job of um creating a lot of sympathy I thought for Prince Charles as a character um especially in season three when we see him as an adult and we see kind of his relationship with uh, Camilla, now Camilla Parker Bowles, Camilla Shand, um, before she got married, and sort Mm -hmm. of, you know, seeing, and again, you know, there there are, you know, parallels to what happened with Princess Margaret and Peter Townsend and and them being kept from, from marrying, and I thought it gave us a lot of really important context, and I felt, I really felt for Prince Charles at the end of season three. I was like, this is just sad. Um, Season four does a really good job of pivoting hard. And I feel like this is the season where you start to see, whoa, this family is really, really unhealthy. Oh, yes. And like toxically unhealthy and not normal. And by the time I got to the end of season four, I was like, oh, you can see a through line from Diana to why... Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were like, nah, fuck this. We're walking away. We want no part of this. Like, I was like, oh, this is so clear. Um, So I thought that was really, I thought that was really well done because it didn't feel sudden. It didn't feel like I was getting whiplash. It was just kind of like, okay, you can see how because of the time period and because of the circumstances of Prince Charles and Diana kind of being forced together and how you know just the ripple effect of that situation they hardly knew each other Charles still very much in love with Camilla uh Diana very young had no idea what she was getting into nobody prepped her properly for what it meant to be in the family um Mm -hmm. and and you know you just I I mean I it was one of those things where it was like I I I had sympathy for everybody but I also I also kind of it, it was very balanced. I was like, I have sympathy for everybody, but I'm also kind of like, eh, everybody's also very difficult to live with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I thought that was very well done. And um, and then, of course, um, season four takes place during the 80s, which is the Thatcher era, which was mm-hmm. like a, a an era of huge change uh, in England. And Thatcher, of course, is is. Um, you know, a hugely famous, iconic um, political figure. figure. Yes, exactly. Um, And I thought that they did a good job of balancing kind of the personal storylines of like Charles and Diana, along with the political storylines with uh, Queen Elizabeth and her conflicts with Thatcher, 
They do a really good job of unpacking kind of the worst aspects of, I mean, Thatcher is basically Ronald Reagan on steroids. I mean, <laughs> right. You know, like she's, she's brutal. She's an individualist. She's like, I don't, I don't even understand why we're involved with the Commonwealth anymore. It's all about everybody bootstrapping themselves and, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know social services and communal efforts and community I don't care you know that's not what this country needs right now um, so so yeah it's it's just it's it's an era of a lot of change and they cover so much ground in one season and it didn't feel it didn't feel rushed it didn't feel like they were shoehorning things in I thought it was very well balanced um, I think that Gillian Anderson, who I have been a fan of since the X-Files. <laughs> um, yeah, she's wonderful. She's so good. And like, yeah, I was doing some reading. No prosthetics. They just, they did her hair. They put like a can and a half of hairspray in her hair every day. But isn't that incredible? Yeah. Yeah. And she just got her through, you know, like posture and the way she holds her chin and the way she holds her mouth. Obviously, she studied recordings of her voice. I mean, like, it's uncanny. And she's unrecognizable. If you know Gillian Anderson from anything else, especially the X-Files, and then you walk in and somebody's like, well, that's Gillian Anderson playing Thatcher, you'd be like, what? I know. Every once in a while, I would catch, like, that little bit of her birthmark. Yes. Like, on between her lip and her nose. And every once in a while, I would see that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I was watching Gillian Anderson. Right. <laughs> She's there, but like just barely. Just barely. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and then also in terms of casting, uh uh the 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 young woman who plays Diana, um, I believe her name Emma is Curran. Emma Corinne. I think this is her first big role in anything ever. Um couple things. Number one, she looks exactly like her i mean like they did a very good job of shooting her a lot from the top as yes, well exactly. really along her nose exactly yeah. and she also like she had things like you know head posture and the way she kind of used to like look up from under her bangs and a lot of like <laughs> chin down smile you know like uh, stuff like that um you know she obviously studied her physicality as well as her you know manner of speaking um and, you know, so I think that, you know, she she does an absolutely incredible job. And I also I mean, like, I wouldn't want to be the person who has to fill those shoes. I mean, no, Diana is such a such a, you know, like a hugely iconic figure, you know, and even more so after her death, you know, and, um, I, I, I you know, I don't I don't. I don't envy Emma Corrin at all. That's that's got to be no. it's very very hard to step in and try to to take like a woman who's like she's like the most one of the most photographed women in the world. One of the you know like she's mm-hmm. she's she's so famous and so iconic and try to to bring it back to like who she was as a human and what her you know what her role was and how she was experiencing the situation. And again, I think they do. A very balanced job. I mean, it is, it is slanted a little bit, a little bit towards her perspective because she is the outsider coming into the family and kind of just seeing the mess that 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 family is. Um, you know, I was, I was, I was impressed that they didn't try to shy away from 
things like her eating disorder, which I don't think is is very well known. Um, I really didn't know much about that going into this season. Yeah. And they were, you know, I mean, like they put the disclaimers on the screen before every episode, you know, just, you know, uh, trigger warning wise, which I totally understand. Um, you know, but I'm, I was just I was impressed that they didn't shy away from that. They didn't shy away from just the aspects of her that could also be difficult. You know, right. because then you really see how the combination of her and Charles and her in the context of the family, but especially within that marriage, just how much of a mistake it was for them to get married. I mean, um, you know, and, and I, I can't imagine either of them were easy to live with and they were they were doing their best. And it's just there were just so many factors in play that were making it difficult. I mean, obviously, Charles being in love with somebody else, huge problem. Right. Um, you know, but there was a big age gap. And they, you know, Charles is a little bit more of an introvert, a little bit more of an intellectual. He likes to read. And he likes to be in the country. Exactly. And Diana's more of like a city girl. She likes to go out. She likes to go to the theater. She goes dancing with her friends. She, you know, um, she's just more outgoing and she's more comfortable. I mean, like she really, really kind of had an intuitive understanding of how to use the media to her advantage, um, which I think is fairly incredible for someone as young as she was, that she just sort of she just had this innate understanding of how to present herself in a way that created a, a, a positive feeling in everybody that she interacted with. Um, but you can also see how something like that would make a personality like Charles be just kind of like, oh, <laughs> really? You're, you're just doing it again. And like, who's in charge of the show here? Right. For someone who wasn't allowed to be themselves doesn't really know what being themselves even means right and then to be married to someone who knows nothing but to be herself exactly oh that's really really well put yeah yeah that's exactly it that's exactly it and you know and then it and then it just gets it's especially towards the end it just gets super sad because it's like the entire family was just so sick of the drama of their marriage but they're not gonna ice their son out you know, or their brother out or whatever. So they kind of pin the problems on, like, Diana's behavior. And then, like, they're just slowly, you know, like, she's almost not part of the family. She's showing up to Christmas on her own in her own car, driving up. You know, they're not even living in the same house, she and Charles. And she's sort of very, very uh, not a part of the family and she just sort of you know they end on that you know shot of the family christmas photo and she's just sort of standing there by herself she's not even standing with her husband and she looks so sad and so uncomfortable and i was like "Ooh, that's really i mean you know and then knowing what we know about what she did afterwards and 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 her decision to to leave it's just you know I I came away from that and I was like she should leave uh, you know yeah. <laughs> like this this is not a good situation she's not healthy for her it's not you know 
She's not right. getting what she needs. And, you know, obviously Charles is unhappy too. So it's like, what is even, you know, like whenever Queen Elizabeth was saying, no, you are not getting divorced. You are going to make this work because you have to. And I'm, I'm kind of like, why? Right. When every single time that's been enforced in the family prior, it hasn't ended well. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, you know, she has this very strange blind spot about and and, you know I don't know if it's because Charles is the heir and so it has to be you know like that has to be the perfect union or whatever um but it's you know it's just so and and I love how Princess Margaret kind of ends up turning into the voice of reason this season a few times when you know she she comes to everybody after the wedding rehearsal and she's like this is a bad idea (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they should not do this. Yeah, this yeah. is this is bad, and I speak from experience. And you know, this is you know, it's like a they they were so obsessed with how Diana was perfect on paper for Charles, and they didn't actually get a chance to understand who she was as a person. Um, you know, and then at the same time, when in I guess it's episode two is the Balmoral test, the one where they juxtapose. Yes. Um, Margaret Thatcher and her husband. I really liked Dennis Thatcher, by the way. I thought he was oh, like, me too. He was like a lovely guy. <laughs> me too. And I thought it was so cute how she would call him DT. Yeah. I thought that was very precious. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And he just always seemed to be kind of in a good, like, jolly mood. He's like, all right, we're at Balmoral. This place is weird. These people are weird. Okay. <laughs> let's just roll with it. And Margaret Thatcher's all like, oh, I'm wasting a weekend. I could be working. And he's like, right, let's go with the flow, whatever. You know, like, it seemed yeah. very much like you know very much one of those marriages where opposites attract and it and it works you know it's not like a they're not like fighting with each other all the time he's just kind of like hey cool <laughs> like yeah I, I feel like story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I feel like he probably if he was portrayed the same way that he was in real life who knows but mm-hmm. I think very early on, you realize Maggie wears the pants. Oh, yeah. So he's just like a jolly good exactly. partner. Exactly. He's like, I know who I am. I am the supporter. Uh, mm-hmm. I I give her moral support. I give her emotional support. And I do my own thing otherwise. I like to golf. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I like... I like to read the Sunday paper. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like... Uh, and I am not a politician and that's fine with me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, so I, I, I found him delightful and I, and I, I I don't know, I cannot remember the name of the actor who plays him, but I thought that he did a a really good job of kind of making him a very well-rounded, uh, a well-rounded character. Um, but yeah, in the, he was very good. Yeah. And then, um, Stephen Boxer. Stephen Boxer. Okay, great. Yeah, who I'm not really familiar with, but I'm not either. You know, I had this joke with my boyfriend for a while. We were revisiting all of the earlier seasons of The Crown, kind of in anticipation mm-hmm. of season four, and we were just realizing, you know, like how many actors from like Downton Abbey who've turned up on The Crown, and then like you know, um, in the first two seasons, um, the actor who plays King Edward. Um, whose name, I believe his last name is Jennings, and I don't know his first name. I'm really afraid to say it's Peter Jennings, and I know it's not (laughs) Peter Jennings. (laughs) Um, uh, Oh, it was Alex Jennings. Alex Jennings, there we go. And he he actually played Prince Charles in Peter Morgan's 
film, uh, the audience, and then also the queen, the the kind of the precursor to all all of the crown. Um, and then you know, so we you know obviously we recognized him. Mm-hmm. We you know, and then season three comes along. Olivia Colman, we all know who and love her. You know, uh, uh, Tobias Menzies is is. But, you know, Prince Philip, I think he is a very good Prince Philip. He's one of my favorites um, from season three and four. Yeah, Absolutely. I think he just I think he just embodies like that that Prince Philip sort of vibe and attitude and um you know, the the mellow Philip, you know, yes. like the Philip who's kind of who's kind of grown out of the, you know, like partying and shenanigans and he's like, ah, oh, you know. It's kind of nice being middle aged and married, and you know, settled now, in nice places, and settled, and you finally know, understand my place. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, so and then and then like in season three, when when Derek Jacobi shows up to play the um, the old and and dying Prince, Prince Edward. Edward, yeah, this is that was the moment. My Tim was like, I swear to God, he's like, are there only ten British actors? Because <laughs> He's like, he's like, everyone is in this show. And then we watched like others, like we watched Broad Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was like, okay, uh, obviously Liz- Olivia Coleman's in that. And then also the guy who plays Andrew Parker Bowles <laughs> is in that. And he's like, he's like, why are there only 10 actors in England? And I'm like, not quite, but it, it does start to feel that way. Um, I think not in a bad way. Right. You know, I'm not going to, I'll never complain about seeing Derek Jacobi. Uh, performing right I do think um, that British television is much more well known for its like large ensemble casts when it comes to television and so it's much easier for you to see the same people again and again right again and again exactly (laughs) (laughs) exactly um but you were speaking about uh the Balmoral test and I don't know if you had something oh the Balmoral test oh yes I was I think I was going back to just something that I, I I observed about Diana in that episode which is, um, and again, I think this goes back to what I was saying earlier about how she kind of had an innate understanding of how to present herself, um, whether it was to the media or, you know, in the beginning to the family. She showed up, and of course, they have this in direct contrast to Margaret Thatcher, who, like, did not bring outdoor (laughs) shoes and was like, I really don't want to go hunting. I don't care. Uh, This is weird. These people are weird. Um, and make me <laughs> really uncomfortable and really angry. Um, and uh, and Diana shows up and she's only got like her, you know, her wellies and her hiking boots. And she's like, I, di- I didn't bring any other shoes. And she's she's you know, she's dressed for the weather. She's dressed for the occasion. She goes out stalking with Prince Philip and she immediately says to him, oh, you know, I am more of a country girl. And like it's like she knows exactly what to say to win him over. And then you see a couple of episodes, or maybe it was even the next episode, in the preamble to their wedding when she has that extremely uncomfortable lunch with Camilla Parker Bowles. And Mm -hmm. she basically tells Camilla, I really don't like Charles's house out in the country. I am more of a townie. And you're just kind of like, hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. Not Not like, ooh, villain, but more just kind of like, this is interesting because she knew... That she had to present herself a certain way when she met the family at Balmoral. But how much of that was just being 
a little bit calculated in sure. in knowing that she was she was kind of there to put on a performance and to and to prove herself. Right. Um, you know, so it just kind of shows, you know, um just she you know, I mean she was a complicated woman. She Yeah. You know, and very young um, and I remember when I was younger when I would when I was like back in the dating field, I know it was kind of like a, you want to make a good impression on the first date. So you maybe fudge right. some things about yourself to kind of exactly. encourage the conversation to go further. Exactly. Exactly. In, in hopes that you, you know, you can like win somebody over or, or, or just get them really excited about hanging out with you. Right. And like, oh, we could, we could go hiking every day. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> <you know>. um, <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, it was just it, it. It's it's. I again. I just. I think they did. I mean, Charles certainly comes off as as a very whiny and and uh, not nearly as sympathetic as he was in season three. Um, but I also just felt this this deep kernel of of you know underneath all of that, underneath my desire to smack him upside the head. <laughs> Um, I was also just kind of like, God, it would suck to be married and to know that you're very much in love with somebody else and you were blocked from being with them and now she's married and that makes it more complicated. Mm -hmm. And the woman I'm married to is extremely popular, um, you know, in, in the world at large and just like what a... Like, what an existentially miserable situation that must have been for him. Oh, absolutely. And like, and like you know, and he takes it out on her. And that's really, that's, that's, it can be really ugly, but it's also just like. Very tragic. It's, it's very tragic. I mean, like, he's just, he's, he's, he's miserably unhappy. And Diana is unhappy, too. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's just, there was that fairy tale element that they tried to play up in the media Mm -hmm. and they did so successfully because everybody was extremely shocked when all of the 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 stories about charles cheating on diana with camilla came out and the the divorce happened but i think the season four does a really good job of showing from from the get-go like okay red flag another red flag another red flag i know i really liked in the balmoral test it was really really sad that they're hunting this stag for the entirety of the episode. And Mm -hmm. Diana comes out, and clearly a family are going after her. She kind of is the stag. But poor Charles has that comment where he says to someone, I feel like the stag, and I'm also being hunted. But he doesn't realize that he's the stag that's been in the castle for years and Diana's yes. the new stag that's going to be staring across the room at him for eternity. Yes, yes exactly. But, like, Charles doesn't have the wherewithal to realize, like, oh, no, I'm stuck in this situation. I'm not, like, the new stag. I'm the old stag. Right, right. And it's very I mean, his, sad. I mean, <laughs> it's super sad. I mean, that's, like, I think that's one of Charles's um, biggest flaws, at least at this, you know, I, I, I would hope that at this point in his 70s, he's a little bit more um, self-aware, has more self-knowledge. But, uh, you know, Charles in his early 30s, not really the most self-aware guy ever. And that's also um, in the episode, I really loved the episode called Favorites. Oh, yes, um, me too. <laughs> 
it it made me laugh a lot, which made me feel a little bit bad because <laughs> it was like, because um, it was like. It, yeah, so it starts with Margaret Thatcher being very, very candid that like she has twins and she very clearly <laughs> favors one of them. And you're just kind of like, wow, I knew you were awful, Margaret Thatcher, but I didn't know that you were like that awful. And you see like the contrast between the way she treats her children and you feel so bad for her daughter. And um, and then like it just it I, I love everything about that where where. Elizabeth goes to Philip and goes, she admitted that she has a favorite. And Philip goes, well, yeah, I have a favorite. Anne's my favorite. And Elizabeth's shocked. And Philip's like, you have a favorite, too. I'm telling you, you have a favorite. And she was like, no, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. And then he just, like, messes with her for the rest of the episode. He's like, I'm not going to tell you who your favorite is. I'm just going to wait for you to, to figure it out. And then the way she does it. I mean, like, mom of the year. She's like, all right, I'm going to have lunch with every single one of them. I'm going to ask Martin Charteris to, like, give me a memo briefing <laughs> of, like... Each of my children. <laughs> exactly. Like, what are they into? What are their hobbies? What's going on with them? So I know what to talk to them about. And it's just like, oh, my God. Okay. And then she... I mean, like, the... And then, I mean, like, this is what became, like, perversely funny to me. Is that she she meets with all four of her children and she kind of comes away with the feeling that she doesn't like any of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, she's like, they're all really, really like lost and problematic and and appalling in some ways. And Philip's like, oh well, Andrew's obviously your favorite. And then of course. I know they have to be a little bit delicate with how they are portraying young Andrew, given right. what we know about Andrew now with the whole Jeffrey Epstein debacle. Mm -hmm. But I do like that they planted, you know, in that lunch that he had with his mother, they planted some seeds of problematic behavior when he's describing the like really just, you know, pornographic sounding movie that his girlfriend at the time was in and queen's a little bit taken aback and then later she tells philip she's like if he doesn't change <laughs> dot 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 and then doesn't finish the sentence and kind of lets us all uh fill in the blank there but i just you know I, it was one of those episodes that i just i could not i mean like the only person she really her advice always is like do nothing you know, mm -hmm. and like Anne, Anne gets really angry at her when she's like, my marriage sucks. And yes, I'm having an affair with, I guess, one of her bodyguards or whatever. Um, and like, you know, it would be horrible if he was reassigned. It's like the only thing that's making my life feel good right now. And like Elizabeth's whole MO is like, well, look the other way for a while. And like you guys will because that's like it's like that's what worked for her and Philip. Right. And it ended up being OK, but it took decades to get there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And she's like, just stick it out. And Anne's like, your advice to everything is do nothing. And like, that's fucked up um and then like you know the only person she really gets mad at is charles because charles is just like on his own planet of like i'm gonna have nine gardens <laughs> and, and this house is gonna be like a tribute to my soul and you know like 
Diana's upstairs. I think she was only like 20 or 21 and extremely pregnant. Yeah. And and obviously um obviously having, you know, like morning sickness just like not feeling well. Um and I think I read that. I read that she'd given an interview years later where she was like apparently nobody in the royal family has experienced morning sickness the way I did. So I was literally like struggling to keep food down and they were all like oh toughen up and she was like no i'm i this is not like a toughening up (laughs) no there's nothing to be done exactly my body is just having this reaction to being pregnant um and like yeah and like diana's refusing to come down to join the lunch and then Elizabeth basically calls Philip out about like, oh, so this house is 15 minutes away from Camilla's house. Interesting. And then she just like lets him have it. And I feel like she does that because he is her heir. And Mm -hmm. I think she feels like if she's going to give advice to anybody, she's going to give it to him. Right. But then she comes back home and she's basically like. I don't like any of our children. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, this is so sad. And then it's also like, it's sad too, because she does have regrets about the kind of parent that she was when, when the children were younger. But she also just like a reoccurring theme on the crown is that Elizabeth has a lot of trouble with, connecting emotionally to situations and to people um probably a thing that's put up because of her father's death and not knowing how to cope yeah exactly exactly and you know like in season three the the episode where the um the mining town in wales got um avalanche basically that's my favorite episode from that season aberfan yeah yes yeah it's it's beautifully done and just so just like it's harrowing and it's so sad and it's just you know and and yeah it was just very very well done and that was like you know that was like a classic moment of her being like I know I should be feeling something children have died but like I can't I can't find that part of me that can feel it and then she feels it a little bit in the end she gets the recording of the hymn right that was performed at the burial and and you can kind of see that that she's going through something but it's like it's just so difficult for her to emotionally connect with anyone and then she's got four children and it's like it's like oh man that's not so good no Um, and i think too with her really laying into charles this season is also a sign of her thinking like well this is the one i actually put the work into and if this one's messed up exactly how messed up are the other ones (laughs) exactly exactly yes that's exact i think that's exactly right um you know, so so it's uh, yeah. Favorites was <laughs> favorites was maybe my favorite episode <laughs> just because, it, and it was again, it was terrible. I was laughing through the whole thing, and I was like, I'm a bad person for laughing at this. But like, but like, like all four of her children are just like so. I mean, like I do feel a little bit for Anne. I do like Anne. Mm-hmm. I love the actress that Aaron act- Doherty. Yeah, she kills it. For sure. Yeah, she is so good. I like her a lot. And she's the one that I I have the most sympathy for because, uh, you know, it just seems like she's she's just 
trapped in a bad marriage and she also I mean like she she mentions as much in her like hanging out with the queen that afternoon where she's like you know I'm actually a working royal I do stuff I go to third world countries I do charitable you know activities I you know like I do you know the idea of the working royal which is kind of a funny concept (laughs) because it's it's not like a thing that really exists anywhere else but right you know she's she's like I have a platform because I'm a member of this family and I actually like go and do the work and then all Diana has to do is show up somewhere wearing a pretty dress and everyone's like oh my god she's amazing and you know like it okay a little sour grapes but also like I can I can understand how you would might feel frustrated if you were like well I'm routinely going to dangerous third world countries and trying to do good work in these places and nobody ever acknowledges that I'm doing it and it's you know like again like the problem you see it most acutely in Margaret but kind of the problem that they all have about like well what what exactly is my life about where do I derive meaning right um as a member of this family and like you know how how do you like create an identity for yourself when so much of your identity inherently is about duty to these larger concepts of like country and god and you know your own mother as the figurehead of those two huge concepts um so yeah, I just I, you know I think they did a really they did a really good job of balancing the the personal stuff, and I also think, um, in terms of just covering the Margaret Thatcher business, <laughs> they 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 did uh they did a really really good job as well of kind of covering the the greatest hits as it were yes of um of of Thatcherism. Um, yeah, I think the crown really soars where they they understand you can do an episode and then start another episode and be two years down the road. They do yes. a very good job of realizing, like you said, kind of like playing the greatest hits, but still making you have an appreciation for the timeline that you're following right. throughout the show. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, um, you know, I had... Uh, th- I had a little trouble. The one thing I didn't really particularly care for in favorites was the idea that um, Thatcher was so upset that her son had gone missing during his car race that she was like, and now we're going to declare war uh, to save the Falkland Islands. And it's I, I I'm like, I don't really think that's why Thatcher went that route with the Falklands like it I don't think it you know I, that felt like a little interesting I I took it almost yeah. as like she made the decision because she was so distracted by the disappearance right. of her son too yeah 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 I mean and that's where that's where I I you know I I imagine to be a writer on this show um it's always it's always got to be a very very uh you know very very hard needle to thread to um capture like historically what's going on mm-hmm. but also to capture the interiority 
of these characters when it's not like we have transcripts of what they were talking about at home. Right. Or what what was going on in the weekly in the weekly meetings between, you know, uh, Elizabeth and her prime ministers and so trying to mine good stories with emotional arcs based on just, you know, what we know from what we've gleaned from the public you know what what we saw in the public right and then what we know about history and then just finding those those notes to expound on on creating uh you know an emotional story so it doesn't feel like you're just watching a bunch of historical like dry historical reenactment (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think that's interesting as an, an american audience when you learn about the history of England and you go back to, you know, like Henry VIII and mm-hmm. the young Victoria. And I feel like you learn about things in the history books as you're coming up in elementary school and high school, obviously not very well taught, but you're learning little mm-hmm. bits and pieces about that history. And then pretty much in my experience after World War II, you kind of stop learning about England. Like you don't really learn right. a lot about England after right. that. And so, like, it's interesting for me to watch The Crown and then also kind of start to do some research on my own, because obviously when Princess Diana came into the fold, America was like, oh, now we're interested in England again. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So they're finally catching up to that point in time where I feel like an American audience is kind of like, oh, I remember when these things were happening. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, like, and that's, you know, it's interesting that you point that out because um, about, you know, how, um, you know, the history of England kind of drops off uh, in in school right around World War Two. And that's, you know, um, and then, like, you know, historically, that's because World War II, um, you know, basically bankrupted the UK and they couldn't afford to manage all of those colonies that they had all over the world. And that's when they started pulling out. They started pulling out of everywhere, pulled out of India and uh, created Pakistan in the process and then it's and then it's also sad because a lot of these areas where they've pulled out are now areas that still there are there's ongoing conflict like indian pakistan constant conflict right a year that was 47 and 48 that was when they pulled out of what is now israel and of course that's a big thing Mm -hmm. um you know the the rights of who gets to own that land and and you know the the you know like is this the land of you know is this a jewish homeland and you know but are we also displacing people who've lived here for years and then it's like you know a a lot of it feels kind of like the british were like we can't really deal with this right now bye (laughs) uh yes and like and like now like you know 60 70 80 years have gone by and these areas are still kind of navigating the the conflict that was left behind um and i feel like that's part of why they stopped teaching oh yes <laughs> about england after <laughs> world war Two because it's just kind of like and then they kind of fucked up the world for <laughs> <laughs> And that's not fun to think about. So let's just uh, not think about that for a while. Right? Hey, Princess Princess Diana. She was 
she was cool right and then and then you and then you get kind of get back into that and um um but yes i i do i mean going back to what you were saying too about how uh we're now at a phase in the arc of the crown kind of as a series where we are getting to the point where audiences watching now actively remember the events that are being depicted and i feel like that is also um again just uh to be the the performers on this show having to do that right um just just how how loaded it must feel to to have to you know like to enact all of this stuff that you know just you know people remember people remember diana and charles's wedding really well you know they remember you know they they it's 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 just we're getting into the modern time i mean like by the end of season four william and harry have both been born yes and it's like boom there we are like you know when when the when the crown comes back with their with their new cast uh next next season Mm -hmm. which i think they are i think they're taking two years okay um, which is, I believe, what they did between the Claire Foy and the Olivia Coleman. And wow. I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's by design or if that's also because of the way COVID has interrupted um, production schedules. Sure, sure. Um, so I read somewhere. I hope I'm wrong because I don't want to wait that long. <laughs> but uh, I read somewhere that we might not be getting season five until. 2022 and okay. that would make me very very sad um but you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> season five is when we're getting into like the 90s and i was like the i remember the 90s really well right <laughs> right and uh you know and, and um you know and that's when when one shit will really start to hit the fan with with charles and diana and then you know uh I, I, you know, I don't know what their intentions are for how they're going to depict that story. Um, Peter Morgan directed uh, The Queen, that film with Helen Mirren, which was all about an exploration of how the Queen uh, may or may not have. Yes, mm-hmm. he reacted to Diana's death and whether that was an appropriate way to handle it. And... Um, I don't know if they're going to try to retread that same territory or not uh, in the next two seasons. Um, But I also don't see how they can't. Uh, Not necessarily maybe making it about the queen, but I feel like once you've you've got Diana in the fray as a character... um, You have to see that through. Right. Because because of of how it affected her children and how how that has played out in the last couple of years as well. Right. I think I'm either a little confused or perhaps it was just misprinted online. But Elizabeth DeBecky, who is going to be playing the older Diana in season five mm-hmm. and six, they have her slated for twenty episodes. Which oh, wow. which would mean that's the rest of the mean? time. That's exactly. So I feel so, like that has to be ooh, wrong wow. because why would they right. take why would two they, whole seasons to span to sh- five years? 
Right. It, and, it seems strange to me. And and what what kind of freaks me out about that is I hope that doesn't mean that like the last episode of The Crown ever in history is going to be about a car crash. Right. You know, like I really hope that's I really hope that's not going to be uh, so, what they do. So maybe it was essentially put out there 20 episodes to provide the air of mystery. For you to think like, oh, well, I don't know right. how many episodes right. it'll take for them to get to that period in history. So it's interesting. Right. I don't really know what to think it about is interesting. it. interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, and for sure, I mean, like, there's a lot of – so there's – there's a lot of princess diana stuff out there on netflix and of course more and more yes. and more is showing up now that the queen, the crown is out there um and i it's not on netflix anymore but i did watch it when i was on netflix there was some there was a film um featuring naomi watts as diana and it and it kind of focuses on the last couple of years of her life where she was in love with a doctor who I believe was he was either of Indian or Pakistani descent the actor was it was Naveen Andrews playing this doctor and she was head over heels in love with him and very very badly wanted to marry him and and you know wanted to you know thought that she could have a happy life with him and he basically said look I love you um but your life is just so out there and I'm just like I'm a surgeon um and I have a simple life and I don't know if I am prepared or even inclined to want to invite that kind of scrutiny into my day-to-day life as your husband and he, I, he, he kind of was like, why can't we just keep seeing each other? Like, this is great. We're doing fine. We don't need to get married. Like, it doesn't. Um, but, of course, that's what she wanted very, very badly. And so she called it off with him. She got very angry and she called it off with him. And this movie suggests that she started seeing Dodi Al-Fayed as a, a way to make this doctor oh, um, jealous. jealous. Interesting. And that's why she was so... Um, you know, so public with with her relationship with with Dodi Fayed. You know, I mean, like I remember because again, we're getting to the time period where, like, I'm rem- I remember like when it was happening, and I just remember it was like all of a sudden she's dating this guy, and he's his dad owns Harrods, and and they're everywhere. They're just everywhere. They're like on a yacht. They're going vacationing. They're going clubbing. They're you know like whatever. And it was like it was everywhere, and it was just um, and again, I don't know how much you know with with these movies about diana or any of the royal family you don't really know how much truth there is in there but but the the in-your-faceness of her relationship with dodi al-fayed i was kind of like i could see how somebody who was so desperate to be loved and thought that she had found that with this doctor and had that kind of crash on her would you know would be like all right fine f you (laughs) yeah i'll find a substitute exactly i'll find a substitute and i will be all over the news and you will never not see me with this guy yeah um and it's it's you know it's it's interesting um you know and, and then again with diana i think 
And feel free to cut me off if I'm babbling too much, but like I <laughs> You're you're doing um, great. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, she she had obviously they they delved into her eating disorder, which was just again heartbreaking, but also I I commend the show for for going there. Yeah, and not, not shying away. Exactly, for for, you know, cuz then you you know, it really really just shows just how um just how unhappy and how you know just being in the environment being married to somebody who very clearly is in love with somebody else like could have an effect on your emotional state she was obviously also just a a very sensitive person Mm -hmm. in general um and 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 not you know, so, uh, you know, not really the right person to join that family. They're all very, they're tough. I mean, and they mentioned that a couple of times in in the course of the show. I think Queen Elizabeth says, you know, we're, we're a pretty tough bunch here. And then in the last episode of the season when uh, Prince Philip kind of tries to give Diana a little pep talk and he's like, you know, yeah, we're tough. And I can imagine that this whole thing just, you know and then he's like what does it feel like to you and she's like a tundra yeah and he's like he's like yeah i i get that and he was and i i i found that scene very sweet because it was also it's a little bit of an echo to the balmoral test where yes. she connects with him and that was sort of the her connecting with him was sort of the door that opened the rest of the family to saying okay Charles, this is the girl for you. Right. And he's, you know, he comes to her and he's obviously trying to connect on this level of like, you know, look, I am very much an outsider in this family too. I've always been an outsider. I have this, you know, very, very um, odd and traumatic backstory. And, uh, you know, and, and people weren't, people were skeptical about me being, you know, her husband and she, you know, Elizabeth famously fought to have, you know, to for her engagement with Philip because she really, really loved him. Right. So he was like, he's trying to connect with her as an outsider. And at that point, Diana is just so done where she's like, it's almost like she's like, I, I, I see what you're trying to do, but I don't even care. Yeah, I've been asking for a long time for what I need from this family to make this work right. for me. And you guys are right. not giving it to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then he comes back and he does his whole, uh, you know, mature Prince Philip thing about like, well, you know, the thing is about this family, it's all kind of about Elizabeth and duty and country and all that stuff. And like, you seem to not understand that. And that seems to be your problem. And, I think that's a fair assessment. Mm-hmm. I also think that they did a, a piss poor job of um, making that clear to her when she got engaged to Charles. Yes. Like that's something that they should have, someone should have pulled her aside right off the bat and been like, look, this is what it means to join this family, especially when you're marrying the heir to the crown like this is this is this is what the role is are you sure you're okay with that and she's she's 19 and she's just you know she's starstruck she's all you know like right 
you know, nobody, nobody really prepared her in a real way. Like, you know, we have the scenes of her grandmother giving her like uh, princess coaching, you know, with things like posture and don't wave your arms around too much when you talk and remember the order in which you curtsy depending on who's in the room and whatever. And, you know, just sort of those like very practical yeah, tips. almost like a school marm more than a grandmother. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And it's like she she really needed like a philosophical and a history lesson. Yes. Um, in order to make an informed choice about whether this was the right move for her. And nobody gave that to her. And I think that that is something, knowing what I know about the marriages now of uh, of. William and Kate Middleton and Harry and Meghan Markle, I do know that, and it's interesting because they do show a scene um, in this season of The Crown where um, uh, Martin Charteris is saying, maybe you could sit with Diana and just kind of like show her the ropes and explain the whole thing. And Elizabeth goes, no, I couldn't do that. I'm too much of a softy. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're that's not the word I would have used. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> but um, softy but this, and like the the fact that you might just decide to leave the room and quit. Sure, <laughs> right, exactly. You might just be like, "This is not working for me." Right, I'm leaving. Um, <laughs> and I'm gonna go ride my horse for a while. <laughs> um, and so, uh, but I do know again, and this is all stuff that I kind of have have picked up. Uh, you know, in the last three years, just the the Harry and Meghan Markle fervor that that kind of captured the world, and then now has sort of uh, I don't want to say crash and burn because I think Harry and and Meghan are very very happy right now and have no regrets. I think but, so too. Right, but obviously a a big blow to the rest of the family. Um, but I do know that um, Elizabeth did learn from her mistake with Diana and when uh when William had uh confirmed that he was marrying Kate and then later with Harry and Meghan she actually did work with the two of them a little bit because she was like okay we did this wrong before let's try to pad the landing for these two women because I mean like you know they were I mean Diana came from a a somewhat noble family Mm -hmm. um whereas you know kate very solidly i think her family is just very solidly middle class she was just friends with with will when they were in college and Meghan markle's an american right (laughs) (laughs) um and and has like zero context for any of this so I, i i do know that elizabeth did i don't know how much she worked with them but she I think she somebody sat down and gave them the primer of like this is what it means when you're a member of this family and uh and that's important um that's important just so that people can give informed consent right (laughs) (laughs) about about whether they want to take part in any of it um yeah I think it's interesting that the the fact that this cast is so massive, even seeing Andrew's yeah. wedding to Fergie, Sarah Ferguson, oh, of course. I'm like, yes. oh, I kind of want Sarah Ferguson to play a larger role in season five and se- six, and we'll see. I hope, she, I hope she does. I hope she does, because she is, 
she, I mean, like there, she's there's just so much about her that's like ripe for like great storytelling. Just like oh you know, yes, just just who she was and 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 kind of like the way their marriage fell apart specifically, and also just like. She's somebody who also, in her own way, very different from Diana, but in her, she's very much herself. She's right. like, I am who I am. I'm kind of this big, brassy redhead. <laughs> and like, I, you know, like I'm outgoing and this is cool. And I like being part of this family. And then, you know, as, as things tend to go wrong with all of these marriages in this generation, I think Prince Edward is the only one who married and has stayed married. I think to you're right. His first wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also is one of the more low key royals, which is, which is probably a wise choice. Yeah. And um, commendable for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and um, but you know I, I and Fergie's so interesting because it's like she's yes. they split up but she's still close to a lot of the family she's very close to Harry she was at Harry and Meghan's wedding she showed up for that which I think surprised some people um, but then there's also like when the allegations of uh, the connection between Prince Andrew and Epstein uh-huh. and Jeffrey Epstein came out um apparently Fergie went and like hung out with him for a weekend and then gave a weird statement being like, he didn't do anything wrong. I know him really well. I know him better than anyone else in the world. Cause I used to be married and I'm just kind of like, nah, this no, this is not the right move. No, that was, this that was is, strange. Uh, yeah. Very, very strange. Um, and I am curious again, you know, like I am curious to see what they're going to do with Diana. Um, I am curious to see, what if anything they do um with regards to this prince andrew situation because it is uh i i i know that the royal family is still very very shocked and upset even now about um harry and meghan walking away but i actually think the bigger time bomb there is is uh what else might come out about andrew oh as- certainly as these investigations into um, Epstein, um, and, you know, and they have Ghislaine Maxwell in custody and, and she knows everything. Right. You know? She was everywhere. Um, she was everywhere. And, and Andrew has been basically put on, you know, like he's been he's he's not allowed to do royal appearances. Yeah, he's I think he's he's permanently stepped down from yeah. royal duties yeah, at this point. He's. Yep, yeah. he's been he's been straight up benched um until this is resolved in one way or another. Um and again, like it's it's the kind of thing that I I cannot imagine the show not addressing. Oh, I agree. Um, I think it would look scared on their part. It would look like they were trying to it skirt would. it if they decided exactly. to not cover it. Yeah, exactly. It would look like they were they were um, a little bit too much on the um, pro monarchist side to to kind of paper over paper over that. Right. Um, you know. Uh, yeah. So I I am you know I am very very curious to see see what comes. I mean that's the thing is like. Season four was done so well, and it ends with the, the the Christmas photo of everybody, and I was just kind of like, "It's over, no, 
I want to know immediately what what happens next. I what know. is Diana going to do? <laughs> My husband, what, you know, like look at her face. She's making a decision right now. Right. You know, like My husband asked, "What podcast are you doing today?" And I said, "Oh, The Crown." And he was like, "Oh, you finished that?" And I was like, "You finished it too. You watched the last episode with me." And he was like, "Oh, wow. That didn't feel like a last episode." <laughs> no, it didn't. So. It felt like it felt like it, you know, it, I mean like it's it felt like a big old cliffhanger. Right. Um, you know, just just not knowing what she was going to do. Um and uh yeah, no, uh I I I I think that this was easily the strongest season of the show. I also so think far. it's the most distinct because I feel like yes. seasons one through three, because the cast was smaller, it mm-hmm. felt much more like, oh, you got a couple things where Margaret was pretty prevalent you have like three episodes where philip had like a good little arc over the span of time but this was so it i agree with you i think it was very well done but it was very much at the end you were like oh man i wish i could have seen more of margaret or philip or Anne. yes but still you're thinking about the episode as or the season as a whole and you're remembering oh no they covered all the bases like they did that's exactly what they They needed to do Right. Yeah. You know, and and one of the things, you know, and I I I love the Margaret episodes like consistently from season 1. Through, I do as well, yeah. Through now, I love the Margaret episodes. I think she's she's such an interesting and tragic figure. Um, you know, and then one thing I did I did notice though, and I think this is just the 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 reality of doing a program about the same people over a long period of time. So when we get the, the the big Margaret episode this season, when she uh, she she starts seeing a therapist, which maybe you should have done that twenty years ago, but okay, yes. good, you know, good good for you, Charles. You got her into therapy. That's great, right? Um, and and you know, and she finds out that heartbreaking story about her cousins, and I mean, man, uh, I. I never had that big of an opinion one way or another about the queen mum. Mm-hmm. After that episode, I was like, man, that woman is fucked up. Yeah. Just, just like, I mean, like the stuff that she was saying about like the bloodline needs to be pure and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, this is some straight up Nazi talk. And you're the one who's never forgiven your brother-in-law for his you know Nazi affiliations and abdicating the throne and then also I like you know I love that Margaret finally yells at her mother and says not everything that's wrong with this family is because of the abdication you really have to stop right relying on you that you really really have to stop relying on that like yeah obviously things change for us but like that is not the answer to why we're all fucked up right <laughs> you know? right and you can't use it as an excuse for all of your poor behavior exactly yeah. exactly and you know and these poor these these poor cousins who were just institutionalized and and um like uh erroneously on purpose uh erased were, were said to be dead yeah. yes and very much a lot i mean like it's just it's horrible you know and uh, you know it, it was it's it, i i really do love these Margaret episodes and then you know of course there is the moment though when Margaret comes to Elizabeth and again goes like, "I'm here, I'm back. I'm asking the same question. Can you put me more to work?" And Elizabeth's like, 
know. And it's one of those things where you realize, and this isn't necessarily a criticism, but like when you're covering the same character over so many years of time, um, you know, some of the character beats are always going to be a little bit the same of like, you know, okay, Margaret's biggest problem in her life is that she feels she has no purpose. And that's why, um, you know, that's why she acts out sometimes. That's why she mostly just kind of parties on her Caribbean Island. And, and that episode too, like the last scene where she's back in mystique after finding out about her, cousins and she's just like partying with her friends and she looks just straight up not well right and it's just kind of like and that was and that's the the heartbreaking thing about that episode too is that she finds out this horrible secret in her family and it's and it's and it really really appalls and disgusts her and then she's talking to her friend maybe ex-boyfriend but he's gay and now he's going to be a catholic priest like (laughs) very very which is like such a margaret story somehow like a margaret relationship just like Mm -hmm. um and he's like you know and he's helped her do some sleuthing and he's like you know you've never been happy in this family and maybe it would be good for you you know like he's like catholicism has helped me for you know whatever reason and it might help give you some meaning and she's like well i can't do that because it would mean breaking away from the family and losing my title and losing everything and that was the moment when it really solidified for me that she is her own biggest enemy yes her life arguably would have been so much better and so much more stable if she had married Peter Townsend, but she was not willing to give up the title and the privileges. Right. And it's like again and again, this is the theme with her where like she's unhappy. She feels overlooked. She feels like her family doesn't really respect her. Um, and, you know, she she flat out hates them a lot of the time. But then when it comes time to make a choice, she doubles down on them. Yeah. She's like, no, I can't. I I will not give up the title. I will not give up being a part of this family. But it's like, but the family makes you unhappy. Yeah. The sad you thing know? is that it's not even necessarily the state of the present title. Mm-hmm. But the possibility of what the title might afford her in the future, because maybe right. they might finally decide to put her in, and right, she needs exactly. to be ready for that. And she wants, yeah, she wants to keep that option open, right? And so it's like this very weird tension. And I think Helena Bonham Carter plays this emotion very well. Just this, this, this tension of, um, like she almost needs to hide behind that title. But she is so full of self-loathing because she knows that it it's not doing anything healthy for her. Right. But it's like she she just it's like she just can't she can't separate those two enough to make a healthy choice for herself. And, right. and that's a re- reoccurring theme in her life. And it's. You know, and it's so sad because she's, you know, she's interesting and she's intelligent and she's, you know, 
fun. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, also heartbreaking the fact that she identifies with those cousins who had been institutionalized while she's not realizing that the fact that she's a part of this family, that's also institutionalized her, but she can't see it for that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. She might not be away or dead, but she has been relegated to this role and she's not really allowed outside of that role. Right. I mean, this episode was, or this this season rather as a whole is the season that made me think uh, the royal family is a cult. (laughs) Yeah. They convince you to stay. Exactly. They convince you to stay. It's not good for you. They make you do things you don't want to do, but they tell you that it's for the good of the whoever of the leader or whatever. And you like they like brainwash you. Yeah. And and, you know, um, you know, and 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 I feel like Margaret understands that, but she just doesn't have the ability to or the just this the self strength or the self-preservation instinct to be like no you know what i got i need to step away from this um whereas you have someone like diana who as you said before somebody who unlike most of the royal family was very very clear in who she was and understood how to be who she was and she can look at the family and be like no i don't this is not something i want right and uh you know i don't i don't i don't care what i'm giving up what i might be giving up to leave cuz this is not fun no <laughs> you know? it does not look this like is... fun no <laughs> it doesn't it looks it looks it looks absolutely miserable and like um yeah i i, I um yeah, this is again, like I said before, this is this is the season that that makes that really kind of turns a very harsh light on the more dysfunctional aspects of the family, you know, whereas whereas before, you know, we 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 get their humanity, we kind of, you know, understand how they've they've all grown into their roles and then it's like and you know, now we see okay, they're there, they're established in their roles. And it's really, really toxic now. Yeah, especially um, where you have essentially like the next generation or next class coming up the ranks who have a right. fresh interpretation of the struggles that they're dealing with. Because while the older generation had already gone through all of that, now they're getting questioned again by right. this new group of people who have their own thoughts and opinions on right. why this is right. wrong. Right. Yeah. Exactly. 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 Um, I I also I'd be remiss if I didn't say that like my other one of my other favorite episodes this season was was forty eight to one. Ooh, that was a good one. Commonwealth, yeah. Um, we get a lovely uh, Claire Foy cameo, which uh, I'm always happy about. Um, and uh, you know, and that's again like you know, kind of echoes back to what you were saying about how you know mostly in school we we all stop learning about the history of of England after World War II and the commonwealth is very much a product of of what happened in the aftermath of World War II where they pulled out of all these countries and said okay we're not you know you're not our colonies anymore we're not in charge of you but we still like you are still a part I mean like she says it basically in her her speech princess when she was princess Elizabeth that like you know you are still important. You are important to my father. You are important to me. I pledge that I will always care about you. You will always be a part of the family of 
England. And that is like, it is, and I know this, you know, like uh, I've known this for a while. I know, I mean, this is very true to life. The Commonwealth is definitely one of the Queen's, you know, biggest, you know, like she, she cares so intensely about the Commonwealth and just the, like the sheer ugliness of what goes down in that situation when you have someone like Margaret Thatcher who's like, I just think the idea of the Commonwealth is dumb. <laughs> right. You know, because like, why are we, and, and like some some point she makes, she was like, why are we palling around with countries like Uganda? And I'm like, fair point, Uganda, not the greatest place. Uh, you know, genocide, not great. Right. Um, you know, but but it's like, but it's not just like she's pointing out you know, why are we palling around with dysfunctional countries? And then it's also like, if that's your reasoning, then why are you so anti, uh, anti-apartheid? Anti-anti-apartheid? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's what it is. Yes. You know, like if you're gonna, if you're gonna criticize Uganda, but you're also gonna say, well, I'm not imposing sanctions on South Africa because of apart- apartheid. It's just kind of like, well, where are you coming from here? Like, right. what is your, what's your what goal exactly here? is going on? What's your goal? And then I also love that in the scene where she's ranting about how she thinks the Commonwealth is a stupid idea, and she's got her cabinet up there cooking dinner for them because apparently that was her thing. Weird, right? I I wonder Weird, where yeah. that choice comes from. It's interesting. I I liked it. Is it. I don't know if it was to humanize her or or what. It was very I, interesting. I think she did on occasion used to do that. I don't know if it. I don't know if she did it as often as it seemed she did sure. on the show. <laughs> um, but what I loved was like I'm. She's ranting about the Commonwealth, and I'm again. I'm watching it with Tim, and I'm looking at what she's making, and I was like, Tim, I think she's making curry right now. She is ranting about the Commonwealth, and she's making Indian food for her cabinet and i'm like this is just wild uh yeah that is that's strange yeah yeah um and you know and then just that uh, just all that back and forth at the you know at the the whole the the conference where she just like she's uh, word sanctions no the word you know protocols no protocols whatever and then like signals is the word she picks and i'm just like but signals doesn't even make but whatever like they got it (laughs) um you know and and and, you know and she knows that the you know like she knows she's the lone holdout and then she gives that outrageous press conference where she's like no they bent to my will and i was like like it was one of those moments where I was like, well, no wonder Elizabeth gets so fucking mad in that moment where she's like, all right, I'm going to break with protocol uh, in my own way. And I'm going to comment politically on a thing and, you know, comment on my prime minister, which is not something that the that the monarch does. Um and I loved and that they... little blurb at the end of the episode saying that the queen still, or the oh yeah, she, the royal family, she denies. yeah, still yes. denies ever saying that. Yeah, yeah. And then I and then I love the the poor guy, the press officer that Aww. they threw under the bus, uh, who who was just who was so disgusted by the idea of writing political thrill- thrillers when he was talking to his agent, 
And then he gets thrown under the bus, and that's the end of his career there. So he's like, all right, I guess I'm going to write political thrillers. <laughs> and I'm like, good for you. But like, it's also kind of, it's just, it made me feel so sad for him because he so clearly loved his job as as the press officer. I mean, I like, was so was opposed a he, to the idea of leaking this article in exactly, the first place. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, there's that, that you know, that moment when when Elizabeth basically tells him and Martin, this is this is what I want you to do, and she walks away, and the two of them are just look. Martin and Michael Shea are just looking at each other like, what? Like, how are we even going to go about doing this? Like, this is not. This is not done, but it's also just kind of like, wow, she was mad. Yeah. And, you know, for somebody who's famous for not really showing emotion. Right. And she was, and it's like, this was her line in the sand. She's like, you, you do not fuck with the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth is my, you know, is my pet project. It's the thing I value the most about, you know being in this role and uh you do not you do not fuck with that and you do not behave like you you know intimidated a bunch of people into your agenda because that's 100 percent not what happened right and Um, sadly i got the impression too that maybe narratively i don't know if this was how elizabeth felt in real life during this time but the fact that another woman was so confident in coming out against all of these men mm, was probably yes. not great for her to see because she had always wished her entire life that she could have acted out as a woman with power against the I men in I, her yeah. cabinet. And so I don't Absolutely. know if that was a motive in in real time for Queen Elizabeth right. II, but definitely in that episode, it was a shame because at the very common thread, it's very easy to pit the two women together or against each other right? because they're kind right. of fighting on the same team, but they don't really know it. And that's why that last scene with the queen and the iron lady coming head to head, you can kind right. of see like, Oh, maybe we could have maybe had a better time together, but it's right. over and it's too late now. It's over and it's too late now. Exactly. Yeah. I mean like, you know, and they do take pains to remind us that the two of them are the same age Yes. You know, and it's like there's there is uh, there was so much potential for the two of them to have a really interesting, fruitful working relationship. But they were just, um, you know, I mean, like they're just they're again, what what kind of binds the queen from having too strong of an opinion one way or another about things? She can provide advice, but she's not really supposed to like command anyone to do anything right and then you've got thatcher who's again uh you know kind of the other side of the coin of diana another woman who's just she knows who she is and she's very proud of who she is and she's very proud of her background and how she grew up um she has some fucked up ideas about women in high-powered roles uh because she thinks they get too emotional which is kind of like what yeah uh a disservice to herself for sure exactly um you know but just but somebody who's just she's just so she was so confident in who she was and what her agenda was and what she believed was right for the country and and she just pursued it doggedly and 
Yeah, you know, and then there's that, that great episode with the guy who breaks into Buckingham Palace basically to complain to the queen about <laughs> Margaret Thatcher, which I love. It's like, I love that like, episode, yeah. He's, he's, he's like, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not. I'm just going to tell you my life really sucks right now. And it's because Margaret Thatcher is ruining everything. I'm unemployed. I've lost custody of my kids and there's no way out and she doesn't understand you know like the plight of people like me and I, I you know and I I love the way I love the way Olivia Coleman plays Elizabeth in that moment where at first she's just like really freaked out and then she's just kind of like because maybe she also kind of shares <laughs> his uh thoughts about Thatcher she's kind of like all right I'll hear you out <laughs> uh you know your life does sound really not great and I'm so sorry and I will I will remember what you've said I thought that was really sweet where she's like I will remember what you've said I will remember this conversation yeah towards the end and then- she even like almost tries to get him to talk more trash about that jerk she was like is there anything else you'd like to tell me right exactly (laughs) exactly and he's like and he's like nah i think i got it Mm -hmm. and then like and then like the security team comes and like wrestles him out of the room and she's like i'm fine i'm fine don't worry (laughs) like it's all good um but yeah i mean like i i love that episode too because it's like Here's the most like non-threatening guy ever, but he somehow exploit and also like huge indictment on the security measures at Buckingham Palace at the time. Like he broke in twice. Yes. Like what? And then like he he's there and he's not even there to be menacing. He's just there. He's like, look, I talked to my MP. It didn't work. I've talked to like the unemployment people it's not working nothing is working you are the only option i have left so i'm here uh-huh. i'm i'm so sorry that i broke into your bedroom but like someone needs to hear me out because this is this is really 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 just bad news and then like you know the but then again you know like just going back to like again thatcher had such strong convictions about what she believed in and what was right for England. And she was so, and this is, this feels ugly to say, to say, oh, she was aggressive because that's a, that's like a term that people like to throw around as a pejorative for female politicians. Sure. And like, I don't, I don't want to go down that road, but, she was she was unflinching yeah i would say maybe know. a little bullheaded yeah yes yes and that's you know and that's why it all fell apart for her in in that last episode when finally her you know her second in command resigned and basically like gave kind of a passive aggressive speech in front of you know parliament basically saying that this is not working anymore and then you know she she meets with the four like ambiguous votes in her cabinet who are like look we like you we're loyal to you but we got to be really honest like these are some problems in the way you operate and i don't want to vote against you but this is a like this is not going away the 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 issues that your own cabinet are starting to have with you are not going away and it's been a nice 11 years you've done a lot of stuff 
and you've succeeded a lot of what you set out to do. But this is not, you know, um, and I, you know, it was rough. It was very rough to watch her go through that. Agreed. And, um, you know, and that's, I did find it very touching when the queen, you know, said, I'm going to give you the, I guess the order of merit. Is that what I believe so. It was. Yeah. And, you know, you can see that she's sort of putting aside her, um, personal concerns or personal feelings about what she didn't like about working with Thatcher and just again like you said trying to connect on a woman to woman level about you know like this is a hard this is a hard job for a woman to be in right um for both of us you know not because and a woman can't do it but because a woman exactly. will always be challenged for why they're acting exactly yeah exactly and because and because well to a degree they will always be outnumbered by yes. men. And she was like, you know, I, I, maybe we didn't agree all the time, but I respect, you know, the work that you did. And I respect, you know, like who you like personality wise and your strength. And I, I found that scene so touching. And then I also just, it was just so heartbroken, broken, breaking, heartbreaking. I'm a Corona brain. Sometimes the, the sometimes the words just don't come out the way I want them to. Sure. <laughs> Where you can see that Thatcher is touched, but she's also just so let down um, and yeah, yeah, and like almost like destroyed by the way by the way that all happened, that she can't she can't even find it in her to say thank you. She right. just sort of she's she's trying not to cry and then she walks out of the you know and not only does she walk out of the out of the room she turns her back on the queen and walks out on the room and i don't think that was meant as disrespect i think that was just kind of one of those like i'm about to cry and i do not want to cry right now so i'm gonna turn around real quickly so she doesn't see that i'm about to cry um but it was yeah it's just it's a it's it was you know, and I don't like Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> right. I mean, like, she was, she was, she was awful. I mean, she, and I was discussing this with, with, with my boyfriend because he, um, he, he remembers the Thatcher era more than I do. He's a little bit older than me. And he used to work for a company that was, uh, it was a, he, a, a tourism company that was headquartered in England. So he okay. used to kind of fly back and forth a lot um and so you know he was saying that you know thatcher awful in many many ways in terms of this like bootstrapping you know i'm taking away all the social safety nets and that you know that kind of like you know reagan on steroids sort of thing Mm -hmm. but he was like you know a lot of what she did too was stuff that England needed and and this is a is this a weird thing to say I did write about this a little bit when I did my Billy Elliot mm-hmm. uh, piece four story screen um where a lot of what she wanted to do was, was take away the power of unions and this is something that I feel very conflicted about because I think unions are great I agree um unions are really really great but the way that the you know and I really like 
I did a lot of research into the National Union of Coal Mine Workers. So like that's that's kind of where I'm coming at. I don't really I, I didn't really research you you know industrial unions at sure. large but um the national union of mine workers was a very dysfunctional organization and that's why the big old strike that they planned failed uh-huh. um and you know she she was coming at it from a very extremist point of view of unions are bad they're all bad and my aim is to do away with them because they are problematic and they keep us from making profit because for her it was all about making England a more you know independent country and not you know like that was that that was sort of her her goal was to to take away the power of unions so that there could be more like nationalization of industries and like right you know more profit um yeah she had a hard time looking at the individual but she was trying to look out for the nation as a whole yes Yes, not realizing that the nation is made up of individuals of individuals (laughs) exactly exactly you know um you know and so so it's interesting because tim was like you know it's it's not a um it's not a popular thing to say but the influence that she did exert on the power that the unions had in England did, if you look at it in the long term, have a good effect effect on the country. But that's if you look at it like in a very macroeconomic thing, in a macroeconomic scale, and you're not, as you said, not looking at the individuals who are affected by those decisions. And so I think that's that's what makes Thatcher's... Uh, legacy uh, very complicated uh, at least as far as 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 I'm concerned is like you know you can you can argue that some of what she did was good you can argue that um, she did have very good intentions for what she was trying to do she wasn't you know like she wasn't trying to kill all the poor people right you know Um, but but her methodology and her just philosophy on the way life should be based very specifically it seems or at least what we get from season four of the crown based very very much in her own identification with the way she was raised and how her father taught her how to be Mm self-sufficient and how she believes that all all english people have it in them to do that and that's on some level, that's very um, that's very sweet. That's very endearing that she has that kind of faith, right? But is it but is it realistic? And that I feel like that's where that's where her legacy gets complicated. Um, so, um, you know, and the, I mean, like, uh, and I think unions are great. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I'm kind of like, oh, come on, Maggie. Like, really? I know it's always. Always tough to think, like, who could have done a better job at the time or how things could have right. been different. Because she was handed a very specific plate and she had to yes. she had to figure it out. But yeah. Yes, she was. Yeah. I agree with you. It is very complex. Yeah. And then, you know, and then you see who has come after her. I believe it was, I believe John Major 
was the prime minister after her and mm-hmm. then we got we got Blair mm-hmm. and Blair was so cuz John Major was I believe the conservative party he was just the guy that they voted in to replace Thatcher mm-hmm. uh Blair labor party uh problematic uh, behavior during the Iraq war so his legacy is a little complicated as well mm-hmm. um, you know and then we you know like then we went into this like David Cameron, Theresa May <laughs> Boris Johnson Brexit era and it's like what is going on over there like, yeah um, not a great I run <laughs> not a great run no no and and and, and uh you know, and it'll it'll be, you know, just the 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 whole Brexit thing. If it if it goes through, and I've like I've lost track of where they even are with that. I know I know that a majority of of uh, of people did vote to leave the European mm-hmm. Union. I don't know what that looks like, and I don't know what implications that has for the royal family either i don't know if that means you know i i it's yeah i guess i haven't thought about it on terms of how it affects them personally yeah right you know i mean and again i mean at this point the 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 royal family the monarchy they're largely you know they're they're symbolic they're figureheads they're not really carriers of power but um you know uh I you know it's 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 interesting. It's just going to be interesting to see what happens and it's you know I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where they go in seasons 5 and 6 with yeah. the show. Um you know just to see where they uh you know where where they take us and where we you know on what I'm I'm just very curious on what note they're going to leave us on. Right. After after uh you know season six episode 10 yeah because <laughs> i'm sure that happens i'm sure seasons at least one through four maybe even most of five they kind of have like a good mapping out but considering yeah. as you said it might be two years until we get season five and then probably another year gap before we get right. season six and by that right. point who knows what they'll want to cover exactly yeah. and so much so much will have happened and we don't i mean yeah you know elizabeth alive and kicking <laughs> you know at at the ripe old age i mean like she's in her 90s now i believe yeah and, and philip is 99 90 not good for him man <laughs> right i am good for him i you know i he's he i i i really like him i really do he's difficult he was kind of a douchebag in seasons one and two right i'm sure during that period of their marriage not easy to be around no but like i just i i just like him i think that you know and especially like in these last two seasons seasons three and season four as we see that he's kind of mellowed and matured and understands his role but he still kind of has that little tone of irreverence that yes. is needed now and then that kind of you know like it's 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 i feel like it, i feel like he it, it's who he is as a person and i think it's also good for elizabeth when he when he does turn that side of his personality on because he kind of he kind of pulls her out of the um 
of the seriousness of her task yes uh, as queen and this, I mean like and that's that's the thing that I think they've done a really good job of showing us through the, the four seasons is just how how very very seriously she takes the role right and, and that's and very very similar to her father obviously like you know she she understands she's like this is duty this is what yep, I gotta this do this is my purpose this is my purpose um, right so um yeah for philip being a pilot he definitely really grounds her and (laughs) brings her down (laughs) exactly brings her down reminds her of uh you know of the and uh, you know that's the thing that i've always you know uh, that boarding school that he sends poor charles to and that apparently and then apparently he's also sent you know we when we in favorites when we learn that the queen hates all her children (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, we find out that Edward is at that school too, also being bullied, but he found a way to deal with it by just becoming like a narc. Like he just tattles on everybody and that's how he, and, and, and Elizabeth's like, oh dear, this is, this doesn't sound like a great way to, to be. That's definitely some youngest child energy right there. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, you know, but like, but Philip wanted his kids to go there because he was like, I want them to know that the world that they live in, in Buckingham Palace is not the real world. I want them to go to this uh you know very very draconian school in a cold place where they make you take cold showers and run laps at the crack of dawn in the mud Mm -hmm. and like toughen up and uh you know obviously that was the right choice for philip what he needed when he was a child not necessarily the right choice for his children no so um uh you know but he's but in a, in a roundabout way, he means well when he says, I really want, I need, I, I think Charles needs to go there. He doesn't understand Charles. Right. And that's, that's where the, that's where the mistake is. But his intention, his intention is good in, in, in trying to force that decision. His intention right. is to, is to, is to help toughen him up a little bit. And he just didn't understand that like, okay. It's too much. Exactly. Yeah. My son is my son is different from me. This worked for me. This did not work for him. Right. Um I feel like I've been babbling a lot. I wanted to know if there was oh. if there was I if there was like anything that I have if there's anything that I've blown over that you wanted to uh that you wanted to kind of unpack a bit. Or... Oh no. The conversation has been really great and I think we've touched on a lot of like the heavy hitting moments. Just earlier mm-hmm. when you said that favorites made you laugh a lot Mm -hmm. i i definitely laughed i think uh qe2 was a little bit more loose this season which i found pretty delightful to watch yes i would agree (laughs) yes 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 (laughs) and then i audibly laughed when uh princess die was giving that gift to charles and it was her singing from phantom of the opera just for how tragic the whole thing oh it was just so it was like it was like oh cringe cringe but she means well yes. but oh no oh no like you know because <laughs> like, the whole time like heath would be like man he's really being an asshole when she's like trying to give him a nice gift and i said yes but do you think she gave that gift with his actual personality in mind exactly and exactly. Heath is like well yeah and i'm like well he wouldn't want that he wouldn't like that 
He granted like any normal person should love that because it is yeah. very sweet <laughs> it is very very sweet yes and it's a beautiful song <laughs> and she's obviously trying to convey like something that she I mean, that's this this one of the saddest things about diana too <laughs> is that i think for a lot of that marriage she had convinced herself that she did love him right and maybe she had to do that in order to survive for as long as she did in the marriage but it's just like you know, she's in that moment with the with the Phantom of the Opera <laughs> thing. She's, you know, like she's it's it's a love song. You know, think of me. That's all I you know, she's trying to like draw him in. And he's just kind of like, oh, God, musicals, you know. <laughs> and still, I thought it was so funny that she said, well, this time, no public audience. It's just you and I. But then her not realizing that, well, of course she had a public audience when it was recorded. Exactly. The whole cast of the Phantom of the Opera is there and the orchestra. (laughs) So it's like, eh, uh, maybe not. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. I do love also at the beginning of that episode when she does the um, she does the birthday dance to Uptown Girl, <laughs> and uh, and and Philip and Elizabeth are discussing it the next morning because it's in the papers. Oh, and, yes. and Elizabeth goes, "Who is Billy Joel?" Yeah, I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> oh, no." <laughs> um, oh, very good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but that's you know, it's it's like. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut oh, no, you. Go I ahead. was just gonna say it's like it's it, you know it's 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 that classic like introvert versus extrovert problem that the mm-hmm. two of them have, you know. And she, you know, and she even says she says I feel I feel like I can express myself most when I am you know performing, and I feel like she you know she saw all of her you know tours and press events and that big you know the the. The trip to New York that was like a big, huge success. Um, you know, she she looked at those all as as performances, and um, and that's why she was so good at them. Um, and and Charles is just he's just naturally not. It's not his thing. No, it's not his thing. I mean, he's he's you know he's he's not he's not unintelligent. He uh, can be charming, um, you know, in in the right element, but he's just he just doesn't have a big personality, um, no. you know, and there's that scene in that one episode where he's at a party with Camilla. Oh, yeah. And they're, ta- and they're like they're like tag teaming that joke. They're like hosting you, the party together. They're hosting the party together. But you see Andrew Parker Bowles is there. And I'm just kind of like, whoa, what the hell is going on here? OK. Um, and I don't really know a lot about the nature of. I know that they I know that they had an on and off relationship before they got married. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what happened after they got married, if it became kind of a a basically oh i don't know i haven't really delved into that yeah um but they're tag teaming charles and camilla are like telling the joke together but camilla knows exactly when to back off and let charles take over the narrative she just kind of jumps in with the supporting the supporting anecdote and then he takes more of the narrative of the joke and then she has a little bit of it and then she lets him take the punchline and i'm like yeah 
that's the relationship he needed to be in. He needed to be with somebody with whom he, you know, like obviously there's chemistry and they share a sense of humor and all that. But she knows when to back off and let him lead the moment. And um, and that was just something that I, I don't think Diana understood. Not that she didn't understand how to do it. She didn't understand that she had to do it. Right. And Charles didn't let her know in any way possible because he wanted her to fail. He didn't care if she succeeded. Exactly. Exactly. It was a thing All he those... wanted to be mad about. Right. Yeah. All those scenes, too, early on when, like, he proposes to her and then, like, he or even after the Balmoral test, like, he's, like, patting her on the shoulder. <laughs> Yes. Like, good job. I'll see you later. And I'm like, wow, that king of romance right there. Like, <laughs> you know, like he asked her to marry him and she goes, oh, yes, this is she. At first, she's like, what? And then she's like, yes. And then she's like, I love you. And he <laughs> does not say it back. <laughs> and then he like pats her on the shoulder and then puts her in a car back to <laughs> London and <laughs> calls his mother and says, it's done. <laughs> like okay (laughs) like uh we know how you feel right this situation and again like at the church before the the, you know like when they're doing the the wedding rehearsal and she's found and she's had her horrible awkward lunch with camilla and she's found out about the bracelet that he's making for camilla and then he comes up with the lamest fucking excuse for like Oh, that's a, a parting gift. gift and like blah blah blah. And then again, it's like he he can't even kiss her on the cheek. He's just is his way of like touching her is like he just pats her on the shoulder constantly like like you're a good sport, Diana. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is not I mean like and this is exactly what Princess Margaret picks up on. She's like like their body language tells you everything about why this is terrible and that's also like i do think the episode where they go to uh, australia and new zealand is also extremely really it's extremely heartbreaking because they have that heart-to-heart conversation about like okay i'm not getting my needs met you're not getting your needs met what do we need from each other And then they kind of come to a weird agreement where they realize, like, oh, we kind of need the same sort of thing from each other, like maybe in different ways. But, you know, we want to feel supported and we want to feel encouraged and we want to feel loved. And then I think Charles kind of surprises himself when he says, well, I do love you. And then they have this brief moment of like, you know, and like, that should have been like a relationship ending conversation i felt like like when it started i was like this is the conversation they're having when they're like this is not working we do not get along this is this is not this is a failure right but then they somehow come to like a little bit of an understanding and then they have like a great few days and they have that beautiful dance on the dance floor and it looks like they've really sort of connected and, you know, he 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 goes into her hotel room at night, which is scandalous. Taboo. Apparently, <laughs> apparently British royals don't sleep in the same bedroom, which uh, uh, Dennis Thatcher yes. thought was weird. Uh, and I agree with him. Um, and then, like, 
you know, they, 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 they have this, it's like this glimmer of hope that like, okay, they've come to an understanding about who, who they, who each other is and maybe they can make this work. And then, and he's like, Camilla's calling and he's like, tell her I'm not available. And it's like, Ooh, it really looks like this. They've turned a, they've turned a corner. And then like, it was just the smallest little thing. That sent that, him back. That sent him back. And it was just like he thought she made a weird face that made people laugh at him. And he was like, fuck it. Yeah. I'm I'm done. And like, you know, and that was, you know, I was just, I was like, ah, oh, poor Diana. Like, you know, she, she was feeling like, okay, we've finally gotten to the point where this is a marriage that's going to work. And then it's like, nope, we're right back to... Where we were before, where we don't live together, and he's driving off to meet Camilla in the middle of the night or whatever, and blah, blah, blah. And the other thing that I did want to point out, too, um, sure. because you did ask me in the beginning about, you know, my my kind of, my, my, my relationship and my feeling about the royal family um, as, uh, as a person of post-colonial heritage. Um, and that is, and I was actually, I was discussing this with my, my dad uh, yesterday because he finally started watching The Crown, uh, the, the current season. Um, he's, he's hooked as well. Um, <laughs> and he was like, and my, you know, like arranged marriages are still a thing in India. My parents did not have an arranged marriage, but it still is a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And my dad and I were talking about this. We were like Prince Charles and Princess Diana that is exactly what an arranged marriage in India looks like. The thesis of an arranged marriage is, okay, these people are, like, good for each other on paper. They may not, they don't know each other very well. We're just going to marry them together. And over time, assuming it works the way it's supposed to, they fall in love. It's not like they're in love when they get married. They fall in love through the course of being married. That's, like, the... That's the philosophy of an arranged marriage. Right. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it totally works. My uh, dad's parents had an arranged marriage. Totally worked. They fell in love. They were great. They were a great match. Turned out well. I have a cousin who had an arranged marriage. Did not work. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, there's no guarantees there. But I sure. was just, I was, I was, uh, I, I was very, um, it was very interesting to just to see the parallels there of like, okay, these are two families who have determined that their children are a good match and we're just going to make this happen. And everyone keeps telling Diane. I mean, like, even again, Phil comes to Phil. <laughs> Philip. <laughs> good old Phil. Good old Papa Phil. <laughs> <laughs> he, he comes to give her that pep talk in the last episode. and he And even then he's saying... He will come around. Uh, we all think he's crazy. I don't know if that's helpful for you to know, but like he will come around. And again, that's totally towing the line of like, because in an arranged marriage over time, you fall in love and you forget the people you were in love with before and whatever, because you grow into the marriage. And she's like, I don't care. This is not working for me. Um, and then the even the argument that she has with Charles earlier in that episode where he says... I am not taking responsibility for this. What does he call it? This, this. Uh, Whew, it's a very well written line, too. Yes. Um. Something about this. This. This misal. This unfortunate misalliance. Yes. 
Yes. And he's like, if you have a problem with the way things are, you need to... He's basically saying, I'm washing my hands of it. This is not my problem. I'm not the one you have a problem with. You need to take it up with the people who arranged this. Right. And I was like, ooh, that's they're throwing the gauntlet down. They're saying right there, this was an arranged marriage. And this is... Uh, textbook example of how arranged marriages can go very wrong and then the stakes are higher because it's fucking prince charles right right Uh, you know so um yeah i don't know just a just just there's there was just a lot of really interesting social upheaval uh in this season and uh, and I really liked it. I, I just I, I again I think I said this before. I think it is the strongest season. I think cohesively, absolutely. Yeah, because I think there have been some really strong episodes from previous seasons. But I think as a narrative for an entire season of ten mm. episodes long, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was definitely um, it was definitely easy for us to just, as we were watching, be like, all right, we want to watch the next one. We want to watch, you know, it was like, we, we weren't, we never, never really had a point where we were like, okay, that one was a little, "Eh, let's take a break and come (laughs) back to it. You know, it was like, sometimes that'll, that'll happen in, in, in earlier seasons. I remember in in season three, there was the episode where Prince Philip was very obsessed with the moon landing. moon dust had like exactly and had like a midlife crisis and then he met the astronauts and they disappointed him and i was just like what is this episode like what 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 is going on and then he joined that like priest friend group (laughs) like yeah exactly like exactly the social group for like retired priests who don't know what they're doing with their lives and he's like i don't know what i'm doing with my life either (laughs) Oh, uh, <laughs> like, and at the, I mean, like at the end of the episode, I was like, I don't know what I'm, I'm supposed to take away from this. So, you know, like every once in a while, the crown will have an episode like that where you're just kind of like, huh? Um, <laughs> and I, uh, none of that in season four. Yeah. I, I did not walk away from a single episode being like, what were they trying to do with that? Yeah. I, I think I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you'd like to briefly touch on or plug? Or a plug. Um, I will say I've, I've, I've been keeping track of who they are casting for the next, the next round. Um, I love Imelda Staunton. I think that is a, an inspired choice. Yeah, I really um, loved watching Olivia do... Not so much a queen impression, but more of like a Claire Foy impression. The way she speaks is so similar yes. to Claire Foy. Yes. It's incredible. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see what Imelda does as well. Exactly. Exactly. That's something that I really appreciated about um, all of the, you know, like uh, Helena Ballam Carter, uh, Olivia Coleman, Tobias Menzies, everybody who is playing somebody who was a significant uh, character. Even that, I cannot think of the actor who played uh, Tony in season three. Oh yes. His name escapes me, and I feel terrible because I think he's very, very good. (laughs) But I, I, I loved how the the four of them in particular. You could tell that they had studied the first two seasons of the show, and they were letting the way Claire Foy, Matt Smith, Vanessa Kirby. Um, and again, I've forgotten Tony's name in the first two seasons. That one is Matthew Good. 
Matthew Good, and he but was I'm, on Downton Abbey. Yeah, yes. but I'm looking at um, the older Anthony. The older, yeah. the older Anthony. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they did a very good job of really yeah. like embodying, but not necessarily being shackled by it. Right. Like exactly. really letting it just kind of flow through their choices. Exactly. And show how like, okay, we're letting this inform the character, but we are also an older version of that character. So yes. how would that, how would that turn as we age or whatever? And I think in particular, uh, Tobias Menzies is, as uh, Prince Philip does a spectacular job. I mean, like, what a I joy just, to watch. He's he's I would I'd watch him counting toothpicks. I mean, <laughs> you know, like I think he's tremendous. He's so good. Um, you know, so I think I, I you know, like Imelda Staunton. I think that's an inspired choice. Um, uh, Elizabeth Debicki, you said, is mm-hmm. going to be Diana. Um, so that that's and she another one spitting image they're they're really nailing it with the diana casting yeah I do they have are to say she's a bit taller um, than emma corinne she's a bit tall but right. <laughs> but diana was actually i think the same height as charles i think oh she interesting had the, i think you're right i think she was think, rather tall yeah i think she wore a lot of flat shoes when they were together and then when they split up she was like all right five inch stilettos i don't care right uh (laughs) yes um and uh and and then i read i don't know if this is confirmed but jonathan price is going to take over i've also read that uh i like him a lot i don't necessarily think of him as a natural choice for the role, I'm not saying it's the wrong choice. I'm just curious. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be quite a bit of, you know, uh, wigs and, uh, you know, makeup and stuff yeah. <laughs> that 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 you know will go into that. Um, but it it was a I I love I love Jonathan Price. Nothing yeah, he's against very him, good. But I was I was I was just like, oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I do not know who they have cast for Margaret yet. I don't know if that's been announced. I also am uncertain. I haven't heard anything yet. Yeah. Um, and I don't know who they've... I don't know who they've got for Charles. I will say that I think Josh O'Connor um, has done a really, really good job I agree. with Charles. Um, just just showing us all all the, the facets of who he was. Um, and... I love Aaron Doherty as Anne. I love their chemistry as brother and sister, Josh O'Connor and Aaron Doherty. I'm going to be so sad to see Aaron Doherty go. Me I too. Just, I just think she's, you know, like she's just, she's just so great. And she kind of, she kind of inhabits that princess Anne attitude. You know, she's kind of her dad's mini me, but she's also you know kind of a a a, you know like a feminist in her own sort of way you know like very much so you know i i just i keep thinking of that scene in season three when they're trying to figure out what to do about the charles and camilla situation and they like bring Anne in to interrogate her and and like they you know i guess the queen mom is like it's very important that you not be emotional and she's like yes as opposed to the hysterical way i usually am in life <laughs> and like and like philip starts chuckling cuz like and then like and then i love that she just basically comes right out and says yeah i slept with andrew, andrew parker bowles 
didn't love him. He's kind of a tool. I was just looking for some fun. And then, you know, QE2 is like, oh, my God. And she's like, I'm sorry, Mom. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. I had fun. I'm being honest with you. <laughs> I'm being honest with you. It's done now, but I had fun. Not going to apologize for that. Um, you know, and I just, I, I, I love that there is... I love that there's a woman on the show that's like that. And I hope yeah. that I hope that we see I hope we see more of that in season five and six. And I hope I do know that Anne eventually splits up with this husband who she's uh, obviously extremely unhappy with. So right. I am I'm looking forward to, to hopefully seeing some some happier times for her. I agree. Yeah, that that'll be um, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. I feel like I I, I feel like I'm uh, I, I just it's like I literally just watched the last episode of season four on Thursday, and then I've had like I think I did week, as well. The, yeah. yeah, and then I had like the weekend to digest and do research, and now right. I'm just kind of like I'm like wow, I know a lot about the royal family all of a sudden yeah the crown has kind of taken over your life (laughs) for the past couple weeks (laughs) exactly i Um, completely understand (laughs) yeah yeah but it's so great it's so great getting to talk to you about this yeah you know i i i don't know and i don't know why i don't know why everyone's not watching this show but and maybe everyone is watching this show but like nobody in my immediate circle seems to be watching it Except for you. And I'm just like, I just, I want to talk about this with somebody. And, you know. I know. Not ah. not many of my close friends watch it either. And I don't think my mom even, like, would watch anything on Netflix. But right. <laughs> I, I think it takes a very special type of person who would be interested in watching something about the royal family. Uh, coming from a person who knew like sarah ferguson as the og fergie and then when you found out about like (laughs) black eyed peas and there's a person named fergie and you think oh like sarah ferguson and none of your friends that is exactly (laughs) what that is (laughs) that is exactly what happened when the black eyed peas came along and they were like fergie and i was like prince andrew's ex-wife is in a band (laughs) right what and then and i was like uh, and then and then you really and you're like oh oh (laughs) <laughs> no it's a different person <laughs> it's a different person oh okay so uh <laughs> i think uh yeah you and i are of whatever reason and of whatever temperament the type of people who would be interested in a show like be, the crown yeah, exactly <laughs> and who and, and who and who are desperate to do this kind of deep dive yes. <laughs> you know <laughs> So, so it's great. This is this has been a blast. I was oh, yeah. when you suggested that this to me, I was so excited. I was like, yes, I get to talk about this with somebody. Well, yes. Well, thank you for being excited and joining me. And <laughs> thank you for inviting me. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Well, listeners, I will say this. Uh, my last plug of this podcast is if you go to StoryScreenBeacon.com, you can find all articles, reviews, podcasts of all kinds of things, movies, television, sometimes video games, all kinds of good stuff out there. We do have a exclusive membership feed that costs $5 a month, and then you'll get extra podcasts, videos, and articles, and that's great too. That's continuing to grow in content as well. We try to put out new stuff every month, so we make it worth your $5, absolutely. And if you would like to support us in that way, that would be great. Uh, 
But we also just really appreciate you listening to this podcast and any of the other podcasts you've enjoyed. But Rhea, thank you again so much. Thank you so much. This this was a blast. I, I yeah, I really, really had fun. And maybe uh, in two years, we'll come back and talk about season five. Season five, yes. <laughs> I'm down. Let's do it. Let's put it awesome. in the calendar. <laughs> well, thank you, listeners. And uh, we'll catch you next time. All, All right. right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha